Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Yours Truly podcast. This is episode 122, and if you're new around here, my name is Claire Tuning. I am your host. I am a non-diet registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, podcaster, food pun enthusiast, TikTok maker. Let's see, what else can I add here? Oh, how could I forget? peanut butter and jelly enthusiast, and uh, lots of other things, but I'll leave it <laughs> at there for today. And I couldn't be more excited that you are joining me here today for an episode that has to be one of my favorites that I have recorded so far. To be honest, I was a little bit, or actually a lot of bit, let me reframe, a lot of bit starstruck when I was able to talk to today's guest because I have been a big fan of her work and her book, and she is someone who really needs no introduction in the intuitive eating space, but her name is Caroline Dooner. Now, if you're not familiar with Caroline, I will share a little bit more about her here in a couple of moments, but we have to kick off our episode as we always do with our Yours Truly Goal Slayer featured post of the week. So the Yours Truly Goal Slayers is a free private Facebook community that I host for really anyone who is interested in learning more about intuitive eating and having a virtual community setting to learn from, to ask questions in, and sometimes to even rant in if we're feeling a little bit frustrated about any and all things diet culture. So today's post that I want to feature comes from a member who has been hanging out in our community for a while. She writes, I am so grateful to have found Intuitive Eating and Claire's podcast. For years, I hated my body and I always squeezed into clothes that were too small. I was always uncomfortable and anxious. After recovering, but before intuitive eating, I always bought clothes bigger than I thought I needed because tight clothes would really bring me back to the body hate and anxiety. I finally decided to use Christmas money to get pants that fit. And honestly, I feel like a new person. So if you're not wearing clothes that fit your current body, I would highly recommend it. It seems like such a silly thing, but I thought this community would understand what a milestone this really feels like. So if you are listening to me read this celebratory post from our community member and you are thinking that you want to hang out, you want to be surrounded with messages and reminders and pieces of encouragement like this, then here is your open invitation to come and join us in our virtual community. The best way that you can do that is by visiting my website, clairetuning.com community. Again, that's clairetuning.com community. There you will find a brief application that is required to fill out before you come into our group so that A, you can learn a little bit more about who we are, what we stand for, and you can also be aware of some of our community guidelines that we all abide by to make sure that the community stays as safe as a space as it can for everyone who chooses to be there. But now, I think it's about time that I introduce today's guest. Uh, this intro was a little bit shorter than my intros typically are, partially because I've been sitting on this interview with Caroline since early November, and I honestly don't think I can wait another moment to share this with you. It's one that has been highly requested ever since I had her booked on my calendar to interview. I've been so excited, so... Yeah, let's get right to it. But if you are not familiar with Caroline, like I said earlier in the episode, if you've been in the intuitive eating circle on social media or in the bookstore or any place where you gather information, she is probably not a stranger to you. You've probably heard her name, you've seen her book, but for formality's sake, I'll go ahead and give a little background on her here before I turn the conversation over to Caroline. So Caroline is the author of the book, The Effet Diet. Now, a little content warning for this episode. We typically keep it pretty clean here on the Yours Truly podcast. I want this to be a show that you can listen to with young ears in the background if that's something that you're trying to be mindful of. But I'm going to use the abbreviated term here in the intro. But just be warned that when the actual conversation starts, 
We don't use the abbreviated form, so, you know, take that as you will. But I'm gonna read from her website here so you can learn a little bit more about her. She writes, in 2016, four years after I healed my relationship with food, I realized I was exhausted, burnt out, and filled with existential dread. So I started a new radical healing period and went on what I call two years of rest. I moved out of New York City, simplified my life, and tried to declutter my mind from lots of arbitrary cultural beliefs about success and happiness. Now I live in Philadelphia with my dog, Molly, who you will hear in the background of this interview, <laughs> and we are trying to live the simple life. I am a writer, humorist, ex-professional actress and singer, and at this point, I like to scrape by doing the bare minimum. I have a second book coming out about my exhaustion and two years of rest in early 2022. So that's a little bit about Caroline, but I have no doubt throughout the rest of this conversation, you're going to get to know even more about her and especially her sense of humor as well. And like I said a couple seconds ago, you'll also get to meet Molly if you choose to stick around until the end of the episode. But throughout our conversation, Caroline and I talk about the evolution of the Effet Diet and how that book that has taken the world by storm, how it came to be in the first place. We also talk a little bit about the body's response to restriction and what you can expect after you say, effort to diets and effort to restriction. And we also spend a little bit of time talking about the Minnesota starvation study, which is commonly a study referred to in the intuitive eating space. If you haven't heard of that study, if you haven't read her book and you don't know what that reference is to, I highly encourage you to stick around and hear her explain a little bit more about that and why we can really learn so much from that study and the results of it. But I guess that's the end of the intro. So without further ado, let's turn it over to my conversation with Caroline. Enjoy. Caroline Duner, welcome to the Yours Julie podcast. How are you on this rainy East Coast Thursday? I am good, Claire. Thank you for having me on. It's honestly like it's I don't know how it's been done by you, but it's been really hot up here. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's been uncharacteristically warm for sure. For November. For right? November. Yeah, like the other day, I feel like it's been so rainy and dreary for like three days straight. But the other day I went for a little walk outside and I was sweating in November. And that was a sensation that I haven't so much experienced before until now. <laughs> like beautiful weather for September, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm so excited to have you here on the show. I told you a little bit before we hit record that I woke up this morning. I saw your name on my calendar. I was half starstruck and nervous, but also half excited <laughs> to Aww. have you on here. I'm a, a big fan of your work and your book and all that you do. But before we dive into our interview, I do have a game that I play with all of my guests called This or That. So yes. are you ready for my- I'm my so ready. Okay. First question. Do you prefer city living or country living? Uh, well, I live in a city, so I have to say city, but I feel like- getting away to the country is very, or at least nature is very essential if you live in a city, but I prefer city living. I love walking. I love being able to just like walk where I need to go. Yeah, me too. I am where I live here, right outside of the Washington DC area. I can walk to pretty much everything I need. And it's so fun in my opinion to walk when you have a destination. Yes, totally <laughs> agreed. Whenever I'm out with my parents and I'm like, I should go for a walk. I'm like, oh, it's so boring if I'm like, I don't have like, first of all, some place to go, but also like things to see, like little shops to walk past and people to walk past. I don't know. I think it's energizing. Yeah, it definitely is energizing, but I've had to learn to be very mindful that like, okay, Claire, you don't need to buy anything every time you go for a walk. I've actually had to leave my like wallet at home. I still take my phone and stuff like that, but I found it a little too tempting with like all of the shopping and all of the cute food stores to to be buying something every time I went for a walk. Yes, <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. Um, next one. Do you prefer French fries or nachos? Oh, that's so hard. Okay. No, nachos for sure. Because I feel like nachos are almost a full meal. I would agree. I especially 
feel like depending on where you get them from, like especially if you get a loaded plate that has like cheese and it might have chicken and it might have like literally the entire contents of a burrito bowl poured onto a bag of chips. <laughs> we love that. Yeah. And I, I like fries. I love potatoes, but I like, if I'm ordering a burger and fries, I will want to eat the whole burger before I start with the fries. And then usually I'm full. So I, Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, I don't go for fries, but if I'm starving, like if we sit down, I'm like so hungry, then obviously give me all the fries. Interesting. I, I feel like I would have to echo the opposite. I feel like if I am served with like a burger and fries, my mind always goes to the potatoes first, but I'm a, a potato lover through and through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've actually, fries have grown on me. It's, it was honestly in the beginning, it was probably a diet thing. I was mm-hmm. like, Ugh, I can only have the carbs on this burger and not too many, you know, like I, and then, yeah. you know, as, as that stopped being a part of my life. I've been like, ah, fries are great. I just, as, <laughs> yeah. As a, as we'll get into more of that story, probably here in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, coming. It's coming. <laughs> coming. Next question. Th- third of five. Uh, as far as communication goes, do you prefer a phone call or a text? A text. So much easier. And I'm a yeah. writer too. So I, I, lo- <laughs> I think I actually prefer like writing it all out. You prefer crafting a grammatically correct text message to someone? <laughs> well, I actually am one of the texters, those annoying texters that will just text like a million little lines. But okay. kind of like stream of consciousness in a way? Yes. And there's like a rhythm to it. And like, I don't know, I, I really, I genuinely love texting. I think it's so fun. I, um, I would have to agree. Next one. And this one, uh, I'm going to hope that you're a fan of one or either of these beverages, but if you're not, you can insert your own choices here. But when it comes to a mixed drink or a cocktail, do you prefer something like a margarita or a Moscow mule? Ooh, Moscow mule. Love Moscow mules. I also like margaritas, but Moscow mule is my go-to actually. You didn't even hesitate for even half a second. (laughs) I didn't know what you were going to say for that second one, but as soon as you said it, it was clear. And final one, when it comes to movies and TV, would you prefer to watch a comedy or a drama? Oh, that's hard. I, I would say comedy, but I love TV so much that that is a hard choice. That's it like is hard. I, um, <laughs> I feel like there's, there's benefits to both. I feel like for me personally, if I'm going to marathon something, I would prefer it to be a drama. But if mm. I'm just trying to like watch something to have a 20 minute break during the day or to just like bring a little bit of uh, levity into the day, if you will, I would definitely prefer comedy. I'm watching Schitt's Creek right now. So. <laughs> oh yeah. So I have had a big, dr- big talk about drama. I've had a big drama on my Instagram about how I don't love Schitt's Creek and people okay. are so well, mad at me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not angry actually. I think it's very interesting that you say this. I'm only into, I think I'm nearing the end of the first season and I've had people tell me it gets better, hang in there. Like I've definitely had a couple of good laughs and I see how so many people talk about it all the time and make memes about it. But yeah, I, I haven't found it as funny yet as people make it out to be. That's what I found. I'm like, it was so hyped up. I was expecting it to be the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then when people were responding, they were like, interesting. I love the show, but I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, people definitely think it's hilarious, but a lot of people were like, I wouldn't necessarily call it that funny, but I just found it heartwarming and easy to watch. And I grew to love the characters over the seasons. And I was like, you know what? I accept that. And I watched a lot of seasons, actually, because I was wanting to understand what the heck people were talking about, like why people were so obsessed with it. And I never thought it was that funny, but it is enjoyable. And I do think Catherine O'Hara is really funny yeah. and, and weird. But yeah, my, The Office is my fave go-to That um, I want to go back. I don't think anyone can argue that that's one of probably the best TV shows ever made. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's what I think. But then of course there are people who were responding when we were, t- when I was talking about Shit's Creek, Creek on my Instagram, they were like, I love Shit's Creek and I hate the office. And I was like, you know what? This just goes to show you. Different shows art is subjective. <laughs> Comedy is subjective. <laughs> totally. It's just like um, how people have different 
food preferences. I guess we can have different uh, TV comedy preferences. Exactly. Well. I mean, they're wrong, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Your opinion is wrong and mine is right, but we can agree to disagree. <laughs> well, now that we've played a, a little bit of this or that, thank you for uh, fielding my questions. I know I threw some challenging ones at you, but you uh, <laughs> seem to have survived. But I'd love to get a little bit more into some of our questions. I mean, I think it might be a stretch to say someone who is listening to this podcast doesn't know who you are when they hear the name Caroline Dooner or the fuck it diet. Like I would be surprised if anyone's like, what's that? <laughs> or who is that? But um, for anyone who maybe hasn't heard the, the reasoning behind the book or the why behind you writing that, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about the evolution of the fuck it diet and how your book came to be? I know that's a loaded question, but take it however you'd like. No. Yeah. Let's go for it. Um, so I was a chronic dieter, totally obsessed with diets and weight loss and health and trying to heal my binge eating for at least 10 years. It started when I was 14. And even before that, as a child, I always considered myself a food addict, even as a really young child, because I was a binge eater. And I would, anytime I had access to snacks that I wasn't usually allowed to have at home, because my parents were health nuts, I would go absolutely nuts on them. And I I, it, it didn't stress me out at all as a kid. And I always had thin privilege, especially as a child. Um, so I, it wasn't a stressful thing at that point, but it was definitely notable to me that like, even compared to my friends at school, when I would go to their, go to their house, like I was obsessed with keeping us in the kitchen mm -hmm. <laughs> and keeping us eating their cool snacks that I didn't have at home. So I was always very, aware of that and how that was a little bit different from the people around me. And then when I was 14 and I went through puberty, I gained weight and, you know, not even really looking back now, I'm like, wow, I really, <laughs> I felt so uncomfortable in my body. And I really, I have a really big chest. So that was, I was really, really uncomfortable with that. Um, and I got a lot of really unwanted attention with that. I was really, it was actually when I can look at it, from a new perspective now is very traumatizing. Mm -hmm. um, but I gained weight and I, I, you know, was still binge eating. So it's, you know, diet culture that I'd kind of soaked in through the years had started to creep in. But then I was also diagnosed with PCOS. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's a hormonal syndrome that they kind of tied to insulin resistance and weight gain as a weight gain as a symptom but they also try to treat weight gain as almost like a cause. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very weight centric. There's a lot of focus on, okay, you have PCOS, just, you know, go on a diet, watch what you eat, exercise, try to keep your weight down. We'll put you on the pill. This is what the doctor said. And, um, and yeah, you know, it's incurable, but uh, just, you know, don't gain weight. And I was like, okay, all right. Okay. I do have a food addiction. I, I guess I caught, like, I kind of jumbled it in my head. I was like, I guess I caught, like, if it's related to weight and, you know, losing weight will help heal me, then maybe I caused this with the puberty weight gain and my food addiction. And so I'm just going to start going on diets and I'm going to heal this and I'm going to control it and I'm going to, you know, fix this. Uh -huh. And, you know, PCOS is like pretty scary, especially if you're a teenager getting diagnosed, and I actually don't think very many teenagers do get diagnosed. I feel like it's usually a little later when your period hasn't become regular, but my period wasn't regular and my aunt had it and my mom had them test. And that's how I figured out and found out so young. Um, but I, you know, that is what started my yo-yo dieting. I went on the Atkins diet and I was like perfect on the diet for six months and I lost all this weight and I got all these compliments. And then I started binging again. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, my food addiction, my food addiction. And so then I went on the South Beach diet and I did that perfectly. And that's what started my yo-yo dieting. And I would be religious about diets. I was learning all about carbs and fat grams. And I was, you know, I was like, religiously following these diets for a good 
you know, half a year usually. And then my body started fighting back, but I was like, Oh my God, look at me. I'm an, I'm an addict. Like Mm -hmm. I have a serious problem and I have this health problem. And I was like vacillating, you know, 30, 40 pounds, like every year, like I was gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight. And I felt really, really, really out of control. And I had horrible cystic acne, which is a PCOS symptom. And I, um, I, I had like a, I actually had a lot of thyroid stuff. I had, I had a lot of health problems and I thought that I was causing them, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I'm sure that the yo-yo dieting and the weight cycling was not helping at all, but I was blaming it all on myself. And I thought that if I could just find this perfect diet that, you know, I finally stick to for the rest of my life that I, that it would heal my cravings. I thought it was going to heal my food addiction. It was going to heal my hormones and therefore it was going to heal my binging. And I just had to do it perfectly again. Like I did those first couple of times I went on a diet. And as we know, it just got worse and it just got more extreme. And so the diets I went on just got more extreme. And when I was in college, I was a raw vegan for a year. And then Um, actually in the middle of all of this, I read the book intuitive eating. And Mm -hmm. for two weeks I was like, oh my God, I've never, it was like the first time I'd ever considered that dieting was a problem and that I had a problem with dieting, but I so quickly twisted it. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this diet, but I'm going to do it intuitive. You know, like I, Uh, I just like, I didn't, Uh I didn't understand honestly. And I didn't understand the health at every size piece at all. I was like, okay, but if I eat intuitively, I should be thin, like, Mm -hmm. right. So I just twisted it immediately, even though it really, it really did speak to me. I just, it didn't stick. Um, and then I had basically six more years of, you know, I was doing like pseudo intuitive eating, hunger, fullness diets, French women don't get fat, blah, blah. Like I just was like twisting lots of, like, I was just obsessed. I mean, I had disordered eating. Um, but I thought I was eating intuitively for a really long time, but I was just obsessed with eating a small amount Mm -hmm. and being thin. Um, and then my last diet at, 23 when I was 23 with paleo and I uh I actually because of reading intuitive eating I was like well you know diets do make me a little nuts around food but I'm just going to casually do this and see if it heals my PCOS and I actually had barely gotten my period honestly like I got it a handful of times between 14 and 24 Mm -hmm. and I thought it was because of PCOS which it maybe was partially but I did not understand that trying to eat the smallest amount possible for 10 years. And yes, I was binging. Like I, I actually thought that my problem was binge eating and overeating. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought that it was restricting and undereating because I binge so often. Um, but I just didn't understand that undereating that often and for that long can also take away your period. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to know at this point what was affecting what and how much it was PCOS and how much it was under eating. But um, I was always trying to heal myself, always, always. And nothing ever worked, <laughs> nothing ever worked. And I, so I went paleo and I was like, I'm just going to do it casually for a week and see if it clears up my skin and see if it gives me my period. And my digestion was so bad when I went on paleo that I went even more extreme. I was like, okay, it's a detox, right? I just need to like go really, really intense and like heal myself. And then I can, you know, calm down about it. And of course I didn't. And I started binging on all the paleo treats a couple months in. And I started hearing these like rumbles on the paleo message. I was on paleo message boards. I listened to paleo podcasts. Like I was totally obsessed. Uh-huh. And again, it was one of those diets that really promised to heal everything. Yeah. It was like, you know, grains and carbs are causing all of your problems. And if you cut them out and eat a hundred percent paleo diet, you're just going to heal from the inside out, which is what I'd always been trying to do. And I started hearing from these women on these message boards that were like, Hey, I've been low carb for, you know, a while now. And it's actually kind of made me infertile and made me lose my period. And so I'm actually trying to eat some more carbs and gain some weight back to see if, you know, that'll give me back my period and I can have a second baby and blah, blah, blah. And then I would go to, they were, they were actually like paleo bloggers and I would go to their 
uh, their blog and then follow them and then see the comments of other people being like, yeah, that happened to me too. And I'm trying to get my period back. And that blew my mind. Like that was the first time that I was like, are you kidding me? Are you telling me that eating low carb, which I've been trying to do for 10 years? Like I felt unsuccessful because I kept binging, but still every single day, my goal was to eat the least amount of carbs and the least amount of food that I could to not be starving all day. Like that was always my goal. So it was always, you know, the binging, you know, now that I know, and now that I can look back, the binging was always just reactive and trying to like get my, my calories and my carbs to like a restorative level. It was trying to take me through the healing process, but because it's so demonized and we're so afraid of it and feels like there's something wrong, we resist it and we go back on a diet. And that's why we get stuck in the cycle for, for years or for our whole lives. But I, so this was the first time that it was, that the seed was planted, that what I was doing and that it actually was the first time that the seed was planted, that thinner does not always equal healthier. And that Mm -hmm. was mind blowing to me. And I, you know, that I wasn't ready to give it up, but it definitely for a couple months, I like kept that in the back of my mind and I followed this woman on her blog. And I finally, I had my final binge, (laughs) my binge on these like paleo quote unquote treats that I'd made that were horrible because I like took all the sugar out of them, but I ate them all anyway. And I felt so sick. And I had what I refer to as an epiphany because it was like that seed was planted And I had read intuitive eating long ago, even though I kind of didn't understand how to apply it effectively. I was like, I am in a cycle that is never, ever going to end. If I keep doing this, I have been trying to heal my binging and I inherently cannot and will not heal my binging if I keep trying to go on a diet. But this time, what I understood was that my my focus and obsession on weight was the reason that I wasn't ever able to heal my relationship with food before when I read intuitive eating and when I tried to apply it, you know, like I, for years I was like, I'm going to just like, I'm going to, I read the book French women don't get fat. I don't know if you've ever read that book. I've never read it. I've heard of it though. It's like, you know, it's like a French eating disorder. It's like on, it's like, you know, it's the hunger fullness diet, but like not with snobby Ah. foods and, Mm -hmm. you know, being like Americans eat so much sugar and blah, blah, blah. And don't eat a whole banana because bananas actually aren't supposed to be this big. They're like genetically changed. And I was like, I really would like eat a half a banana and be like, I'm full. So I thought I was intuitive eating during that. And I actually did have a more even keeled relationship with food compared to a more restrictive diet where like you couldn't eat certain foods. So I thought I was healed, but I wasn't, it would inevitably backfire. I was still starving all the time. I was still thinking about food all the time. I thought I was a foodie. I wanted to be a food blogger. Like I was obsessed with food because I was under eating all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this moment, it was actually on my 24th birthday because I made myself all these like birthday paleo treats that I binged on. And I, it was actually, it was like my rock bottom after 10 years. And I realized in that moment that the reason I'd never been able to heal my relationship with food before, and the reason that it wasn't actually, um, you know, healing from diets is because I was always trying to be thin. I was always trying to eat the smallest amount possible at any possible moment. And then of course I would binge when my resolve, you know, when I like lost my resolve and my body actually won the fight. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, that was the moment. That was the moment that I was like, I have to heal my relationship with food and I'm going to have to gain weight. And I don't really know what it's going to look like. And at that moment, Claire, I didn't even realize that there were other people out there, like practitioners who could help me. I, I thought that I was like one of the only people in the world who we're going to try to, was going to try to do this like super crazy thing. This like, I thought that anybody that I talked to, any therapist, any dietitian was going to tell me that this was extremely irresponsible. So I just kept it to myself and I was Uh like, I'm going to write about it. I'm going to research this. And I started because I knew I wanted to accept my body. I started reading fat activist books. I remember Mm -hmm. I read fat. So I think that's by Marilyn Wan, W-A-N-N. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Uh-huh. And um, Lessons from the Fatosphere. Let me just look up who that's by. I feel bad. Lessons from the Fatosphere by uh, Kate Harding and Marianne Kirby. And I think those books led me to Health at Every Size, the book. And that is when 
that was the game changer for me that I was like, oh, there is really something to this. Like this is actually scientifically sound and this is actually my best bet for helping my body. Like if I want, if I, if I care about health, like I've said that I do all these Uh past 10 years, I, I have to do this. And, um, I didn't actually come up with the name, the fuck a diet for a couple months, but I, I read the book, the artist's way, which is all about um, creativity and combating perfectionism, which I didn't realize was going to run so parallel to what I was trying to do with body and food. Um, but there's this, um, there's this exercise called the morning pages where you're supposed, it's like almost like a meditation on the page where you just brain dump everything that's going on in your brain. You just get it out. So it's like, you know, so it's not just in your brain. You can actually see what's going on. And I was so, I was writing all, I was so frustrated with myself because I was trying to eat more and I was trying to get over my food fears, but I was, you know, I was, it had been 10 years of like deep indoctrinate indoctrination. And I was so afraid of so many foods. I was so afraid of gluten. I still didn't eat gluten. And I was like, oh my God, I am, I am miserable. And I was like, fuck it. Like, I just need to be on the fuck it diet because I, because all of these rules are making me crazy. Like I just need to say fuck it to everything because I I'm over it. I'm so, so over it. And I looked at the page and I was like, the fuck it diet. <laughs> That's great. And, then <laughs> and the I title was born <laughs> and the title was born and I immediately looked up. I was positive. It had to be something. I was like, this has to be a a website. And I looked it up and it didn't exist. And so I bought it immediately. And I was like, I'm going to write a blog. I'm going to anonymously, I just was Caroline. I didn't share my last name. I didn't want anyone to know. Like it felt very, you know, it was like, it was, it felt very personal. It felt very scary. I didn't know how people in my life were going to respond to it. I wanted to kind of protect it for a while. So I was mostly anonymous on it. I didn't share my last name, but I just wrote about what I was learning and what I was doing and, you know, how I was trying to work through the mental and emotional parts of it. And I did not expect anyone to read it. I thought it was going to be, because I was reading The Artist's Way, I thought it was going to be like a creative outlet for me for healing, just for the sake of like creativity. And, but people started to read it and, and write me emails and comment and share it with people. And so it varies. I mean, this was almost nine years ago. So it's been a very, very slow growth, but I never in a million years, never in a million years would I have thought that this would be my job, that I would have written a book about it. I just never thought that this was going to be, um, what it is. And, and I, I'm just so excited, you know, and then when I finally got onto Instagram, which was only like four years ago, and I started following other people, you know, at the intuitive eating tag, I was like, oh my God, I was so like, even for a very long time, I still thought that intuitive eating was the hunger fullness diet. Like I really genuinely, until I got on Instagram, I did not realize how many other people like you were out there who were actually doing the same thing. And it was so nice to finally have a community of people who felt the same way and who were teaching the same things and working with people in different ways. So it's really cool. It's a really crazy thing that I never would have expected to happen, but that is the origin story of the fucking diet. And something that I'm kind of curious about now that you shared the, the origin story, I feel like kind of a a common theme that you had throughout this process was feeling like no one else is struggling with this. I'm the only one. It kind of sounds like you found a a little bit of camaraderie in like the comment section of the paleo blogs that you were talking about. But I'm curious when you started writing your own blog and, you know, people started reading and commenting, like, what was your reaction? Were you surprised? Were you like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one kind of like, what was your reaction when you realized that people were on? Yeah, that was really wild because so I feel like so much of the power of diet culture is making people feel like they are broken and maybe they are one of the only and most broken people. So they really need a diet. Like, I feel like diet culture has such a hold on us because we think that we are you know, that we are the problem and maybe we are way more obsessed with food than most other people. So to hear other people respond, like not only in the comments of my blog, but then emailing me and being like, look, I, I started doing what you're doing. I started, you know, eating a lot of food and I started, 
you know, I was really scared, but I'm trying to like refeed my body and, and not be so afraid of these certain foods anymore. And the same thing that you're saying happened to you, meaning me happened Mm -hmm. to me too. And I'm not as obsessed with food anymore. And I actually don't binge on food anymore. When I, I felt like I was collecting data to be like, Oh my God, it's not, it's not because I have this theory that like, and it's exactly what, you know, we all talk about now in any sort of disordered eating recovery or eating disorder recovery that, there is this corrective period where you're really, really, really hungry. And it's, it's like a response to a famine. Like if you just think logically, what would happen if you had been in a famine or a semi-famine for even just a couple months, but then most of us, it's, it's many years. And for some of us, it's many decades. What would logically happen when you finally had access to food? You would eat a lot of food for a while, right? And then logically, if you believe that you can trust your body and that your body does have your best interest at heart, um, that it would start to normalize and your appetite would actually start to serve you and help you eat foods that you love and need and want you know, without drama and that you actually will be able to stop when you're in a range of fullness without forcing yourself to stop. That was this like big myth. I didn't think, in fact, somebody, I was asking people on Instagram today, what do you, what section of the bookstore do you think the book should be in? Because it's in the diet section and it makes sense, but you know, do you think it should be in a different section? And somebody wrote, well, when I first heard about the book, I thought it should be in the fantasy section. <laughs> but then after I read it and started doing it, I think it should be in the self-help section. So like, it really felt like this thing that was like, oh, I wish I could be one of those people who wasn't obsessed with food, but I'm a food addict, so that'll never be me. Not understanding that that is such a normal response to perceived restriction and real restriction. Like even going back to when I was a kid, my obsession with food was because I felt denied. I wasn't starving by any means, but I felt like I didn't have access to food that I wanted and I was obsessed. So I felt when I finally heard from people in the beginning, when I started writing, I was like, oh my God, there's something to this. Like this is not as crazy as it seems. It's not as out there as it sounds you know, on the surface, there's really something to it. And the more research I did, it was, I was kind of like, I was reverse learning about it because I had this intuitive sense that I just had to eat. I had to eat to normalize food. I didn't have any proof at that point, but I, it felt right after what I'd learned. But then I started all the research, all the health at every size research, intuitive eating research, Minnesota starvation experiment research. Um, and I was like, wow, (laughs) there's actually something to this. There's actually science to back up this crazy hunch that I had. Um, So I was sharing that. And then I was also sharing my experience as I like moved through food fears and, you know, got months into the refeeding process and wasn't as obsessed with food anymore. And like felt like it was easy to stop eating when I was full because I knew that I could eat again whenever I wanted. Um, So yeah, I feel like understanding that that you're not this broken person who has to like micromanage everything you eat, but it's actually just a very consistent phenomenon for, for most people who go on diets, I think is so helpful because you're like, okay, there's, you know, there's hope that I can embark on this journey and actually, you know, get to a better place of food. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more about the importance of just like normalizing the body's response to restriction. I mean, I I really resonate with what you were saying earlier, kind of throughout your dieting history that you were kind of always pointing the finger of blame at yourself, right? I heard you say Mm -hmm. multiple times in sharing your story. I thought something was wrong with me. I thought I did this to myself. I thought I had a quote unquote food addiction, right? I feel like all of that rhetoric is so normalized by diet culture and that culture of like shame and you did this to yourself and you're out of control, I feel like is the thing that pulls so many of us for, like you said, months, years, multiple decades back into the cycle where we're reaching for something to quote unquote fix us that ultimately is coming at the expense of our healing. So one question that I have for you, and I, I know you talk about this in your book. So first and foremost, we can plug, if you want more info on this topic, go read her book. <laughs> but I'm curious here, just for um, maybe kind of a, a surface level conversation, when you were going throughout this process of 
reading the research and not only learning about it and also at the same time like going through this process in your own personal life when it came to starting to eat enough and let back in these once forbidden foods i can imagine there was probably a time in the beginning of this where you maybe had that thought reel that said something along the lines of oh my gosh, when is this going to end? I really am out of control. This is so uncomfortable to be letting all of these foods back in. So for anyone who might be listening to this conversation, who maybe feels like they're in that stage, or maybe they know diets aren't going to be the answer, but the letting the foods back in and eating mm -hmm. enough on a regular basis, like that part is really scary. Would you have maybe a couple of reminders or things to keep in mind as people are going throughout that process that in the beginning can feel really scary and like we just want to back away from it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, this is one of the most important pieces because this is what to me was missing from the intuitive eating book. Hmm. I did not understand and it has been updated, so it could, this could be totally obsolete, but I just didn't understand that it was normal to be extremely hungry and to eat a lot of food after years of dieting, especially because I considered myself a binge eater and not a restrictive eater. Even though obviously, as I've explained, I was like constantly thinking about how can I eat the smallest amount? How can I make up for the binge that I had last night or last week? You know, I was always in this compensating for 10 years. I was always mentally compensating. Um, even if I wasn't effectively, you know, like going on these diets again. Um, so I like to always talk about famine logic. I like to make it as, I like to dumb it down as much as possible uh -huh. and just have people remind themselves, what did they think would happen after a semi a famine or a semi famine and one of the things that i think illustrates this so well is the minnesota starvation experiment because i think we have these expectations on how long it'll take like it'll take 3 weeks right it's like, mm -hmm. mm, probably not it'll probably take a couple months or, or more um, it'll be you know i'll eat i'll eat like whatever they consider to be now i don't recommend calorie counting mm -hmm. but it is hard for people to stop you know, like their brain doing what it does, especially in the beginning, especially when they're really, really anxious. So they'll be like, okay, I'll eat approximately X amount of calories. That's normal, right? I'll eat normally, not understanding that actually in that period, we need usually a lot more than we think is mm -hmm. acceptable or normal. And again, I think the Minnesota starvation experiment is a really good, um, when I talk about that in my book and you can even just like Google that and read mm -hmm. some articles about it. It's a really good example because the, the men for six months, only six months, they were literally only doing this for six months. They had their calories cut in half from like, so, so they had it cut to between 1600 and 1800. Mm -hmm. which, which was considered semi-starvation, which is a very, like when I first read that years ago, I was like, what? Yeah. Now that is like that number. And we're like, what? I mean, I'm sure many people are like, oh my gosh, my quote unquote coach or trainer told me to eat. 1200. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I know when I first read this was, this is so eye opening, And I think it's, it parallels what happens to us on diets so well that I think it's like, it's so, I really think it's an invaluable thing to kind of like keep reminding ourselves of, but these men became extremely obsessed with food immediately and had no ability to cheat, no easy ability to cheat. So they lost so much weight so fast. And they had all these heart, uh, uh, health problems and heart problems and mental health problems. Um, one of them had to go to the hospital for psychosis. And after a couple of weeks of being fed normally, he went back to normal. Mm -hmm. So like it, like the obsession with food, the anxiety, the depression, being cold all the time, um, low metabolic rates, irritability, um, other health problems. And, uh, and then, and then the crazy part is, so if we're going to look at like what the recovery looks like after, it was this only six months after right. six months, they thought that maybe just upping their calories a little bit, or maybe doubling them back to what, 
you know, they were eating before would help and it didn't. The only thing that helped was like an exponentially larger amount of calories than they'd been eating before. And that that went on for months Mm -hmm. and that they had the sensation of like fullness and hunger at the same time. And they had a really hard time hearing their hunger cues for a while until they were, you know, eating a lot of food for a while. And, and that a lot of them like still were like kind of obsessed with food for a while after that. And some of them became chefs and they had this focus on food, but they did, you know, they did eventually heal, but that it was this process that actually mirrors what a lot of us who are healing from diets and diet culture experience. And to just remind ourselves that that's actually a normal reaction in the body and that this is a reaction to a semi-famine. And actually they were trying to the whole purpose of the experiment was to see how to refeed people who had been in famine during this happened during world war two. Mm-hmm. So the goal, their actual goal of the experiment was the, the refeeding part. Like that was what they were trying to figure out so they could help the people in Europe who had been, you know, starved for a couple of years. Um, but what they actually learned, I think was shocking, like how many, uh, you know, physical and mental, effects of mm-hmm. the semi-starvation was and then what was actually required after the semi-starvation was a lot of fucking food yeah. like a lot of food i'm sorry yeah. i don't know if i'm allowed to curse no, no it's, it's fine no but i think this this study it's it's so important and i am so glad that you brought it up because when i'm kind of looking back or trying to remember back to all of the episodes that i've recorded by myself or recorded with guests i don't know if i've ever had anyone bring up and kind of unpack a little bit the minnesota starvation study and kind of highlight you know why was this important and what do we learn from this so for anyone who's curious i think caroline you gave a really great synopsis of the the why the outcome what happened but if anyone's looking for more information i i believe that study is like readily available for free on the interwebs, isn't it? I know I've read it a couple times. Yes, yes. And now I think they're like maybe the official one is like in right. some book, but there's a lot out there on it. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's and, plenty of articles. Yeah. And I think, you know, that is one of the things that is like a concrete journey of what happens when you're under eating, even uh-huh. an amount of calories that we think of as pretty normal, quote unquote normal, normal. And what happens when we try and, you know, heal from that. And I think that that can be really, really helpful just to remind ourselves this is a normal part of this process. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And yes, you know, it's really hard to understand your hunger fullness cues for a little while after that. Um, But to kind of trust that, that you're not totally off base and that you're not like, I think one of the big fears for a lot of people, and this is very understandable, especially because of the culture we live in and all the messages that we soak in, it feels so irresponsible. We tend to think that one of the most dangerous and irresponsible things that we can do is let ourselves eat a lot of food for Mm -hmm. a long period of time. Like we are petrified and we think that we're going to ruin our health and we're going to like, there's, you know, we're going to stretch out our stomach and we're never going to know how to eat normal amounts again. And, and it's just not the case. Like it's actually an essential part of it's that pendulum swing of like, okay, the body has been kind of in this crisis mode for however long you've been putting it in the crisis mode. And it needs this kind of this extreme swing to the other side to eventually get to a place where it trusts that you are going to feed it and that it is not in a famine and it can actually relax and kind of come back to a a middle ground. Yeah. And that's really hard for people who have never had a normal relationship with food. And I would consider myself one of those people. I never was not obsessed with food until I went through this this entire fuck a diet intuitive eating journey. And I would have guessed that it was impossible for me to get to a place that was normal with food. Like one of those people, when I hear people, when I used to hear people say like, Oh, I forgot to eat lunch today. I was like, you liar. <laughs> Nobody for, or I, I either thought they were lying or I was like, you're just a different breed of person than me. Like I don't even yeah. understand. And I am now one of those people who's like, shit, I have to eat. Like I never in a million years. And you know, I think that sometimes people interpret that as me glorifying under eating. I don't think that's good either. Like we need to remember to eat. We need to, you know, like I'll like hit a wall and be like, why do I feel so hard? Oh shit. I need to like, I should, <laughs> but, um, but just to illustrate how extremely different my 
mental and physical relationship with food is at this point now that food is amply allowed and eaten. I actually, you know, and the other interesting thing is that, you know, just the physical refeeding can help the mental obsession with food. Like the mental obsession with food is a lot, uh, there's a lot of like, you know, the chemical hunger hormones that actually drive that. So when you are refed, that dies down and there isn't as much of an obsession with food. We usually, like, I think we, we don't really understand how much eating more can help the mental part of this as well. Yeah. And I think we oftentimes don't realize that the mental obsession or for sure what feels like an obsession is often fueled by the physical restriction, right? It's like one of the body's ways of being like, Hey, I'm not getting enough. So in order for me to survive, I'm going to make you fixate on this. Exactly. I know. I know. It's like, and I think hearing that's another thing that's like, Oh, is that possible? I think a lot of people hear that and they're like, no, no, I think I'm just a food addict. And it takes a lot to, to, you know, I feel like again, even like me, like you have to plant the seed and then like, let it sit with you. Sorry. My dog's barking. I came upstairs hoping that I could avoid that, but um, yeah, I think, I think that that is, and that's something that I post about a lot on Instagram. Cause I feel like that's the kind of thing that would have maybe helped me wake up mm-hmm. to be like, really, you know, I would have resisted it for a while and been like, I don't think so. I think I'm just a food addict. Like yeah. that's just wishful thinking. That's, that belongs in the fantasy section of the bookstore. <laughs> but, um, but it's very, very, very true. Like, you know, firsthand. And then all of the people that I have either worked with or who have read my book and written to me. And I'm sure that you have experienced this over and over to people who were sure that it was a them problem. And then when they actually started feeding themselves more, they were like, Oh, wow, this is amazing. Like, I'm really not thinking about and obsessing over food as much as I, I did before. Totally. And, you know, one thing that I, I did want to be sure that I asked you about, cause we've spent a lot of time already talking about your very well-known book at this point, but I do believe that you have another one in the works. So before we wrap up and tell people where they can find you, I don't know how much information or details you are willing or open to, to offering, but I'd love to have you plug what's coming, what it's going to be about, like any teasers. Yes. So Okay. So uh, the title is a tentative title, so I'm not going to say what it is yet because it's not solidified, but the book is a little bit more memoir than the fuck it diet. I would say the fuck it diet is mostly self-help, um, humor, self-help, but self-help. And like, you know, there are writing exercises in it and I take you through the, the why and then the physical part and then the mental part and the emotional part. And this book is a little bit more of my own personal experience with extremism, extreme thinking Mm -hmm. and how I applied that to diets. And then how I applied that to extreme methods of self-help and, and then ultimately how exhausting that was. And so I went through the fuck it diet and then I kind of realized, you know, the fuck it diet was about unlearning a lot of beliefs that I had learned and soaked in and we're living, we're living by about food and about weight, right? Food and weight and worth and happiness. But then after a couple of years, I was like, oh God, I have a lot of beliefs about a lot of other areas of my life, like career and personal life and, you know, happiness and being impressive and all this other stuff. And I was really, really, really burnt out. And I think a lot of us are, and we live in this productivity culture and this like personal responsibility culture. And especially, you know, I think our, I, I read something recently where like our generation is more concerned with being successful and impressive Mm -hmm. than any generation before us. And we have this, like, you can do anything like you can be special. And we take this on like, Oh, I have to be like, I have to be impressive. Anyway, I think I'm actually doing a terrible job of explaining it, but it's my (laughs) personal story. And then kind of the cultural pieces that make us you know, that make us drawn to extreme diets and extreme self-help. And then ultimately what I did after the fuck it diet is I went on two years of rest because I was burnt the fuck out. 
And that was in 2016. So technically my two years of rest are over, but they taught me a lot. And I, so that was my period of unlearning all this other shit that I'd taken on. Mm -hmm. So the book goes up, talks about my extreme dieting, talks about extreme self-help and then the cultural pieces, and then talks about rest and how we can all bring a little bit more rest into our lives. Um, I think I'm going to have to work on the elevator pitch for that book, but that is essentially what <laughs> well, the book I'm happy is to offer a platform for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, uh, if your first book was any indication about how the second one is going to be, you have my word that I will be reading or at least listening to a copy. Oh, I've recently yay. covered audio books. So I know. Aren't they great? I'm like now a total audio book person. I'm like, I can listen to this book while I'm taking my dog for a walk. <laughs> I love it. Well, before we wrap up officially, I would love for you to take a moment here and plug where our listeners can find you. I mean, if we haven't already made it apparent how they can find your book, maybe reiterate that. And then yes, a place where you hang out or where our listeners can learn more from you and support your work. Yes. Yes. So I spend too much time Thanks, Molly. That's my dog. Just trying to be a part of this. Molly's I trying spend, to plug her Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> her Instagram. Yes. Molly's Instagram is the fuck a diet. So I spend a lot of time on the fuck a diet on Instagram. So that is a place where you can connect with me practically daily, sometimes hourly. Mm-hmm. And um, you can read the beginning of the book for free if you're curious and want to see if you like the vibe by just going to my website, thefuckadiet.com. You can sign up for the first chapter there. Um, I, oh my God, I can't believe Thank God this is coming just at the end. Um, Molly, I don't want to hear from you right now. Oh, someone's, someone's, oh, someone's oh, someone at your door. door. It's probably, like they're probably just delivering something. Um, can I actually just run and, and oh, go like, make sure? Okay, I'll be, I'll be right back. One okay. second. Yeah, that's fine. So this is what just happened. My mailman was trying to deliver mail, but broke my kind of already broken mail slot. So he was trying to fix it. And Uh, Molly was like, we are under attack. (laughs) And then he was still there trying to fix it. I was like, I'll I'll fix it. It's fine. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. Well, shout out to Molly for being (laughs) our dog dog of the year. I know I get so mad at her, but she's like actually trying to do a good thing by saving us from the... (laughs) the mailman. Um, all right. Where was I? So I hang out on Instagram all the time. The fuck a diet. You can get the first chapter for, oh my God. This is so annoying. Molly, stop. Molly, stop. I do know for a fact that many dog lovers listen to the show. So I'm happy Molly's making it. She's making her presence so known. Um, and this is like the first time that I've actually done a recording with anyone on the second floor and had a baby gate up on the stairs so she can't come up. Um, but she's still, she's here. So I've, Oh, I run a a book club. It's there's Q and A's with me and there's community. I run it three times before and whenever anyone joins, they get to stay in for future rounds. Um, I have not announced when the next one is going to be, but that is how uh, I work with people. And it's really for a community, you know, it's very specific to the book. Like we break the book down into eight weeks and we have a Q and a each week. Um, and I will be running that sometime in the first couple months of 2021. Um, but that is how I, I work with people, but I always recommend that people read the book first because, you know, what if they don't like it? They wouldn't want to be in the book club. <laughs> yeah. You want to know what you're getting into first, exactly. I guess, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, just follow me on the fuck a diet at, or at the fuck a diet on Instagram. And you can see even more of Molly barking at things that I don't want her to be barking at. Well, um, I won't hold you too much longer. It sounds like Molly needs some uh, love and attention from, <laughs> I would say yours, yours truly, but not me. That is you. Um, but Caroline, it has been so wonderful connecting with you, learning from you. I am so hopeful that our listeners are taking away probably a, a couple helpful tips and knowledge nuggets from our episode today. So thank you so much again for being here for your books. I'm so excited for your next one and for oh, your you. time. This was so fun. This was yeah. so fun. Thank well, you. 
I loved having you and um, you're just as fun to talk to as I thought you were going to be. So thank you for uh, exceeding expectations. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, um, as I told you when we're before, rather we hit record, I always do a sign off here at the end of our episode. So we will sign off for this episode. Yours, Julie, Claire, and Caroline. And that's a wrap for episode 122 of the Yours Truly podcast with myself, Caroline Dooner, and special guest Molly, who had to bark her way in there at the end. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode or anything else that we share here on the Yours Truly podcast, the best way to say thank you and to pay it forward so this show can reach the ears of more listeners who could benefit from this message is by taking a couple of moments to tap those five Five stars if you're listening in Apple Podcasts. And also, if you have a moment, you can leave a review as well to share what you're learning or what you love about the show or just in general, any feedback you might have. I'd be forever grateful if you took the time to do that. But that is all I have for you this week, my friends. So I will see you back here next Wednesday for another episode. And until then, stay safe and take care. <laughs>